a confidential source said that they will be singing in this episode. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 61. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Thanks a lot for joining me today. This is the Positive Psychology Podcast and we will talk about self-compassion. The work is based on the work of a researcher called Kristen Neff. And it's not a holiday-themed episode, although I will release it shortly before the holidays. However, I think that there's really always... It's always a good time to think about self-compassion and to practice it. So let's get started. Well, self-compassion. If we think about that, we have to start with compassion before we know what the self means. So compassion in itself means that we A, notice that something is up, B, suffer with someone else's pain, and C, feel the desire to help. And self-compassion is exactly the same, but instead of seeing someone else's suffering, we're looking at our own suffering. Now, what are the benefits of that? Because a lot of people feel a little bit weird being nice to themselves and, and actually probably have never wondered why we are sometimes so mean to ourselves in a way that we would never be to other people. So what are the benefits of self-compassion? Why, why do I want you to rethink how you talk to yourself? Well, self-compassion has been linked to increased kindness towards other people, increased happiness, optimism, wisdom, curiosity, hope, balance, emotional resilience, meaning that we are better to deal with stress and bouncing back emotionally, and more motivation and personal growth. Additionally, self-compassion helps us to leave the chase to self-esteem behind. Now, what does that mean? Well, self-esteem is important. However, the problem with self-esteem is that it's based on evaluations of the self. So if we're doing great and we are successful, we'll feel good. But we feel rubbish if we don't. And self-compassion liberates us from that up and down up, up from those ups and downs. Instead, we are just kind to ourselves in any case whatsoever. So what is self-compassion made of? There are three components. The first is self-kindness. The second is common humanity. And the third is mindfulness. Self-kindness involves being kind and sweet to ourselves like we would be to another beloved person. And the reason for that is that more often than not, most people are very self-critical and they say things like, why did he do that? You're so stupid. You're dumb. Or of course he doesn't love you because you're, you don't have any talents or you're horrible looking or whatever it is, right? And if you think about it, if you think if you compare that inner dialogue with how you hopefully talk to other people you probably will notice that there's a huge gap between the two 
But if you think about it, you're the only person you take absolutely everywhere. So why would that be the one person that you abuse the most? It makes no sense. So self-kindness is the first component. The second, common humanity, means that we understand that the suffering is not due to some flaw or mistake of us, although, of course, in some instances, we do create our own suffering. But it means that suffering in itself is a part of being human. And by recognizing the common humanity, if we train ourselves to be able to think that we are not alone, that's a huge step forward. Because more often than not, when we're suffering, we feel like we're cut off from the rest of the world. And that is not true. Everyone you see, everyone you meet, they maybe haven't suffered from the exact same circumstances. Of course not, nobody has. But they, chances are they have felt as low as you feel when you need a little bit of self-compassion. And reminding ourselves of that simple fact does a lot to relieve suffering. The final component is mindfulness. And the thing is that when we're suffering, we're often in the past or in the future, but usually not in the present moment. If we are in the present moment, we are so wrapped up in our thoughts and our suffering that it keeps us from actually experiencing what is happening right now. If we train our mind to examine the present moment, we will notice that things come and go from moment to moment. Our pain, it's not the same intensity the whole day. It's simply not possible. We can't do that. Our minds are not equipped to do that. So if you're interested in mindfulness, that's you can go back to episode 52. And there we'll, we get into a little bit more depth in terms of mindfulness. So what are the reasons that people shy away from self-compassion? I mean, after all, it has a great many benefits, right? So why is it that people either don't know about it or don't want to engage with it? Well, yeah, the first thing is it's probably not as famous as it should be. And I hope to make a small contribution with this podcast episode. And I would really like to encourage you to not just keep this to yourself, but if you know someone who struggles with self-compassion or the lack thereof, and you know they're very critical, that you share this episode with them. So the first of these um, obstacles is narcissism. We fear that we might become too self-involved and that other people will think we're weird. Now, the thing is that self-compassionate people often become less involved with themselves instead of more. And the reason is that they don't need to earn their self-kindness to to be happy, right? So with self-esteem, you kind of, as I said, right, you have to make sure that you are successful and you are everything you think about yourself is based on how how you did how you feel that you're doing presently. Self-compassion, you already give yourself that love anyway. So when you feel a certain baseline of love, so to speak, there's less reason to continually think about yourself all the time. It's a little bit like with a child. You know, if if the child has all the attention it needs, it doesn't have to 
do all the screaming and the tantrums and all of that, although. So that's the thing about self-compassion. So these thoughts about narcissistic, uh, that we would turn into narcissistic people, they're simply not true. The other thing that people think is that their critical inner voice helps them to reach their goals. But you actually don't reach your goals because of your inner jerk, but despite of it. Again and again, when scientists looked at bosses who inspired top performance, it's because they were constructive and encouraging. Because their employees respected them, they never had to resort to screaming and threatening to help to get the work done. So why should it be different with you? If your inner boss is a jerk, please fire him or her and help your inner boss become more constructive. Oh man, I'm telling you guys, sorry, short break from self-compassion. I'm really enjoying the quality of the new microphone, but the problem is that it picks everything up. Like, I mean, my neighbor's talking, you know, five doors away, and this thing picks it up. Every single time the ventilator goes off, it picks it off. So I, I hope I'm really doing my best to just turn it, the recording on and off, and it's taking me way more time. But I hope, you know, in, in the name of quality, and I hope to make that you're a little bit more happy with how the things sound right now. But sometimes, honestly, <laughs> it's a bit, you know. All right, so back to self-compassion. Well, the next point why people shy away is maybe also because they're chasing self-esteem. And I talked about that one, right? The thing about self-esteem is you have to feel special to to feel a sense of self-esteem. And if you're average, you're not enough. But the problem with that is, it's a math problem. We can't all be super special. Somebody has to be average. But in terms of self-compassion, we can love ourselves, even if we're average. And that's the beauty of it. The other reason people might be afraid is that they feel that it's a bit self... You know, what happens, you know, if they're too self-compassionate, they may become too self-indulgent. And that's something that I sometimes find hard to navigate as well. You know, like, what if you, you know, you're craving something and you think, well, the self-compassionate thing would just be to not be harsh on myself, but instead to just, you know, take the piece of chocolate or whatever it is. The thing about self-indulgence is that in the long run, it's destructive. So if we happen to be able to keep things, you know, in a moderate way, there's nothing wrong with the piece of chocolate or whatever it is. But if we don't, it's self, self-destructive self in the long run. And self-compassion is not self-destructive. So that's also not something that should keep you from being self-compassionate. You can be self-disciplined and self-compassionate at the same time. And finally, people think like, well, what, what if it just turns into one big self-pity party? Well, the thing about self-pity is that it's only centered on the self. And self-compassion, by definition, is not, because it actually entails the second element, the common humanity. Self-pity does not. Self-pity is really just about the self. In self-compassion, you remind yourself that you are part of one big group of humans. So it's not the same as self-pity. So what can you do to become more self-compassionate? Well, the first thing you can do is you can go to self-compassion.org and test your self-compassion. There is a short 
test and it's it really takes about five to ten minutes and then you get a score and you see exactly how self-compassionate you are which of the elements you need to train on the next you can do is to continually do the exercise how would you treat a friend so try to remember a time when a friend was suffering and you were at your most loving what did you say and what did you do now think what happens when you're suffering yourself what do you think what do you say why do you think there's a difference between the two and what could you do to remember to treat yourself like a friend And sometimes we will need to put up post-it notes, for example. That's old school. Post-it notes is very old school. You can put them on the mirror or, you know, somewhere where you find them eventually. There's also the technique where we just put a rubber band on our arm to remind us of whatever it is that we want to be reminded of. And whenever we manage to actually think about this concept of treating ourselves like a friend we can put it on the other arm and reinforce that again and again until it becomes very natural to talk to ourselves. and the important thing is that on this journey when we try to learn a new way of relating to ourselves we can get frustrated you know if we maybe we think oh man i should have done it and today i was so self-critical and that's a good You know, often people take that as a way to beat themselves up again. But actually, that's precisely your opportunity to be nice to yourself. So you could just be like, well, these brain patterns have been working for 10 or 20 years or 5 years or however long. And I can't expect to be able to change from today to tomorrow. But if I keep trying... I'll remember it once or twice a day, and eventually I'll remember it ten times a day, and eventually it will just be normal. So that's what you can do. Another exercise that Dr. Neff um, suggests is something called the self-compassion break. Now, this is something that you can do when something has happened that's hard for you. And in that moment, you can, if you can only go to the bathroom, then do that. You can go to the bathroom... And then just lock yourself in and say, this is a moment of suffering. We all struggle in life. It's not just me. What do I need so that I can be kind to myself right now? And the next is changing critical self-talk. So here you get a little bit more specific. So you do try to notice when you're being self-critical, what triggers that? Because maybe... Maybe you're not self-critical all the time. Maybe it's just when you're tired or stressed, but not in the morning when you're happy and you're rested. So that's an interesting thing to know what triggers that. What are the phrases that you say to yourself? And what is the tone of your self-talk? It's not just what we say to ourselves, but also how we say it. If we say it with contempt, that's the opposite of self-love. So we want to make sure that we work on these things. But again, we shouldn't try to do all of this at once. Maybe one day you just look at, pay attention to the kind of tone of your self-talk, and maybe the next day you pay attention to the phrases, and then another day you pay attention to the triggers. And again, when you address your inner critic, don't do it in a harsh way. 
and rephrase the statements into supportive self-talks. Instead of saying, you're so dumb, why did you make this mistake again? You can instead say, this is what happens, people make mistakes. What can I learn from this so that I will not repeat it? It's very different. And the important thing is you will still learn from it. Just because you're kind doesn't mean that you'll that you'll you know be dumb about things. You will learn about them, you will progress, you will reach your goals, but you'll do it with way more peace inside. Okay, I hope this was helpful. Now I'd like to read a comment that Janet left on my website. And I just wanted to share a quick excerpt with you because I thought it was really sweet. And as I said in the previous episode, I I treasure my listeners, but the ones who actually reach out are very special simply because of math, because of the fact that only a small percentage of people ever bothers to reach out. So, so I really want to make sure that those who do, that they feel valued because I do value them. And also that I can share, you know, the good vibes because it's also nice for, for all of us to know, right, that we're that we're part of something good and something that changes people's lives. And if it's hard for you, maybe right now, you hear that other listeners actually gain something, those who, especially those who stick around for a longer time. So I hope it also gives you some hope to hear us. So here we go. From Janet. I love your podcast and I've listened to just about every single one. You have and continue to make a positive difference in my life. I'm sure the same is true for many others. You become a sort of friend that is wise, insightful, and I suspect truly kind. If you're ever in Connecticut, I'd love to meet you. So once again, thank you so much for your optimistic, non-judgmental, intelligent, and thought-provoking podcasts. You're making a difference. Thanks a lot, Janet. I, I always hope I'm making a difference. That's why I'm doing this. Because I really hope I can touch people's lives. And it's so nice to hear when it actually works. So thanks a lot. And to all of you, if you're listening to this in real time, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'm not sure if I will post an episode before the new year. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. We'll see. And all the best to all of you. Take care. Bye-bye. Go! Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. When I was a sinner, I prayed both night and day. I asked the Lord to help me, and he told me to pray. Hey, yo! Merry Christmas once again. Cheers, guys. And yeah, if you're not religious, enjoy the beat. That's why this is my favorite song, all right? It's the beat. It's the music, all right? Cheers. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.